of Acts is often seen as the snapshot of the church and so often we say we want our church to be like the New Testament church and we refer to Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 so often as a model that we want to shoot for the kind of church that we want to be and today I want you to join with me in reading chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, as we look at the ingredients or things that you'll see in a healthy church, a New Testament kind of church. I hope that uh, as you come to worship today, you, you'll not be chilled, you know, with the routine. I hope you'll not be thrilled with the entertainment, but I hope you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, inspired by the Lord as we study his word today and uh, think about <clears throat> the, the marks of a, of a healthy church, a New Testament kind of church. It was not a perfect church. Uh, people say, I want to be like a New Testament church. Well, which one? Corinth? Oh, my goodness. That's, they had so many problems in Corinth. Paul actually wrote four letters to try to straighten them out. Uh, how about Ephesus? Well, Ephesus had some strange doctrines that came into the church, and they had to address the doctrines of that church. How about Philippians? Well, there's a, the church in Philippi was a, was a growing congregation, but there were these agitators inside that were trying to get everybody to become Jews before they could be a Christian. And on and on were the many troubles and trials of the New Testament church. But when you go to Acts chapter 2, you see what the, church was looked, what the church looked like right after it was born. I mean, this is the infant days of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit descended upon those who were gathered uh, when Peter preached his sermon in Acts chapter 2. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and the church was birthed. It came to, into existence. And so that DNA of that early church needs to be in all of our churches ever since. And let's see what those are. We're going to look at five ingredients here of a healthy church. Begin with me in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. I want to share with you five ingredients that I see in this passage. One is inspired worship. Inspiring worship. And I pray that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit today as we worship the Lord together, giving our very best unto the Lord. What does worship do for us or to us? 
One of the things worship does is bring us a new perspective about the world that we live in. God invades us, and from His heavenly vision of our life and our world, we begin to see a whole new perspective of what life is really all about. It's so easy to get funneled into a a little corner of your life and your world as you interpret the news, as you deal with conflict in life, as you uh, have relationships with other people, the good times, the bad times together. But we tend to see uh, life in our own little world. Worship backs us up to see the whole worldview as God sees it. We begin to see as God sees. And as we worship this infinite, majestic, almighty, all-powerful God, we begin to see our whole world differently from His perspective. And so when we're disheartened, we gain hope instead. When we are confused, we gain insight. Uh, when we are being uh, harassed by the devil, we find relief from the resurrected Christ who has overcome the evil of this world. Another aspect of worship is that it cultivates our desire to want to obey God. And there's something in us that wants to live life my way. I want to, go, I want to do it my way, and I want to go my way. But when we come to surrender ourselves to Almighty God in worshiping Him, we want to follow Him and obey Him. And that's what they were doing here in Acts chapter 2. They were obeying the Lord and living out life in fellowship and love with each other as the Lord had spoke to them and had di- di- directed him. Worship also will bring a spirit of peace to our hearts. We live in a chaotic time and a chaotic world. But Jesus said to the disciples, My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. And I pray that today no one, I hear this clearly, my prayer today is that no one leaves this worship service anxious. But instead, you would find the presence of Almighty God, who is a loving Father, putting His arms around you in worship and saying, I've got you. You are mine. You belong to me forever, and I am taking care of you. Release your anxiety, Jesus said, and receive me and walk with me, and I will provide for you you. Inspiring worship. That's our goal as we worship the Lord to make a sacrifice and an offering unto Him every Lord's day that we gather to worship. Here in verse 42 it says, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking the bread, and to prayer, and there was a feeling of awe. There was a feeling of wonder as many miraculous things happened in their presence as they worshiped the Lord. And it says also they continued in big church and little church. Uh, A big church was in the temple. They went to the temple to to worship. Christianity had not yet separated from the temple, but was meeting in the temple grounds on a regular basis. And then they were meeting in small groups from house to house. I've often said these folks were good Baptists back then. They had a big worship service for where everybody came, and they broke off into small groups for Bible study, fellowship, for prayer, and for ministry, and for encouragement. What do we call that in the Baptist church? Does nobody know? All right, big church, follow me now. Some of you are asleep. You've been taking 
you know, uh, I've been taking a lot of Benadryl and all that kind of stuff to fight my allergies. So I told, I told Linda, I said, I may just go to sleep in my own sermon today. I don't know. <laughs> but I think y'all been taking Benadryl <laughs> before you got here today. All right, they had big church, big church worship in the temple. And then they went to small groups. There's your key. Small groups from house to house. They had prayer together. They studied the apostles' teaching. That's like Bible study. Um, they had uh, fellowship with each other, and they ministered to each other. Now, what are those small groups called, Baptist? Sunday school. Well, that's right. Sunday school, you see? And here it is in Acts chapter 2. And that's why I get fired up when I think about uh, the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2. Because their worship included small group Bible study. Now, it has been statistically proven that when someone comes to Christ, if they are not involved in a small group Bible study, fellowship, and ministry to, 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 together in a small group, within six months we will lose their attendance. That's how critical small group fellowship is in the church. Um, you really can't get to know everybody that's in this size of service. You'd like to, I know you think you do, but you really don't. Uh, you get to know the people that you sit around, you get a, a, acquainted with them. But in a small group Bible study, there's fellowship, there's sharing, there's ministry, and all these things are taking place in the Sunday school. And that leads me to the second ingredient of a New Testament church that makes us healthy. Transformational Bible study. Transformational Bible study. Um, in Kentucky Baptist Convention, we have a minister over the Sunday school and the discipleship area. He, has, he wears both hats. And his name is Darl Wilson. And Darl's going to be here in June, and uh, the date will be published and so forth. I want you to come and be a part of that. Uh, but uh, Darl has written a book about um, uh, disciple-making encounters. And uh, in that book, he talks about two transformational encounters that really make for a strong Sunday school or Bible study group. One, the first encounter, is the encounter that the teacher has with God before meeting with his people. And I found that to be true in the sermons. I, I, there, there's like a double encounter. There's the encounter I'm having with the Lord about Thursday morning, and there's the encounter that we have together as I share the word that God has given uh, to me with you. So there's a double encounter. And transformational Bible teaching happens when the Bible teacher has had a personal experience with the Lord in the transformational truths of the Bible that is motivating and challenging their life, and then when Sunday school time comes, we share that with the class. Double encounter. Isn't that interesting? That's called transformational discipleship encounters. In that book, he asked the question, if you knew that Jesus planned to attend your Sunday school class this coming week, how would you prepare? How would you get ready? What would you do differently? Would you pray more? Would you fast? Would you spend time in silence and solitude getting ready? Would you study the Bible more to get prepared? Now, listen to me. I'm not, also, I'm not only talking about the Sunday school teacher. I'm talking about the student that comes to the class as well. I really hope and pray that you got ready for worship in church today as early as yesterday. 
that in your heart and in your mind, you begin to train yourself to think, I'm going to church tomorrow. And I want to be ready. I want to be prepared to receive what God has in store for me. Not just in Sunday school, but in worship as well. And so I'm speaking not only to the teachers, but to the students as well. If Jesus was coming to your class next Sunday, would you memorize more scripture? Would you ask forgiveness from from others? Would you seek to restore restrained relationships? Would you better prepare your lesson? Would you clean the classroom and have it ready? Would you call every member and challenge them to be present because Jesus is going to be here Sunday? Would you invite every person you know and every person you meet during the week to come because Jesus is going to be there? Would you make a special visit? Would you make a special contact to encourage attendance? Would you even, listen to this, would you even let Jesus teach the lesson? The hardest thing about preaching I have found is for me to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do the talking. It really is. Because I want to show off all the things I've learned this week. Hey, look at here, what I figured out. Hey, look at here, what I've seen. And the Holy Spirit is dealing with hearts and minds in the congregation that I know nothing about. And so for me to back off and say, Holy Spirit, you do the preaching today. Holy Spirit, you do the teaching today. Would you open your Sunday school class time with prayer? I have been in Sunday school classes that just started, but did not pray. Now, there's something I begin to share from my podcast on Wednesday evenings uh, that I want to share here now. I've come to learn that Bible study is an act of prayer. Bible study is an act of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is conversing with God, having a conversation with God. That's prayer. God speaks, I listen, and I respond to what I hear God say. Bible study is that continuation of conversation with God. So when you have a prayer and then have Bible study, in your mind from now on, I want you to put those together as one continuous act. That we open with prayer and we teach and learn in prayer and close out the meeting with prayer. Bible study is an act of prayer. Would you pray more in preparation for the Sunday morning Bible lesson if you knew that Jesus was going to be there? Would you arrive early? Would you arrive prepared? And then Doral says in that article, keep this in mind. Jesus will be there next Sunday. Because he said, whether two or three are gathered together in my name, then I am with you. So Jesus will be there. A third ingredient of a wholehearted church, a church that's healthy and strong, that I see in this passage of Scripture is compassionate ministry. Compassionate ministry. And I hope that's a word you're, you're hearing from me uh, more often these days as I talk about uh, relating to other people with compassion because we serve a God of compassion. That's the God we worship when we gather. That's the God we study about in Scripture. The God of all compassion for us. 
Compassion means that he has condescended to us and walks with us through this life. We are not alone. The God who created us, the God who understands us, the God who knows what's ahead of us is walking with us right now. Every heartbeat, he's right there with you. And so the key to understanding the fellowship of this church is that they were together all the time, seems like. They were together all the time. And so the compassion for each other, uh, the ministry for each other, and their compassion was demonstrated in their generosity. These people were doing something that was absolutely insane. They were selling their properties and bringing the money to the apostles. And it was being distributed during the days of the Pentecostal season. It was being distributed so that nobody came without a need being met. Now that's called generosity. Almost insane, isn't it? But I've seen generous people who give almost insanely too. And, And I marvel at their compassion to give because they have the heart of God. And nothing will minister to you more than being a giver to someone else. Nothing will stir your heart and bring life into you than uh, an act of generosity and giving to others. Now, I want to ask you this question. As you think about compassionate ministry, we've received that from God. We receive that with each other and give that to each other. I want to ask you, in the last week, just think back now, the things you've done this last week, the places you've been, the experiences you've had, what experience did you have that gave you life? What experience have you had this week that has given you energy? What, what were you into or doing that brought a breath of fresh air to you? What brought you life? What gave you life this week? Whatever that is, it's usually centered around ministry, compassionate ministry. Somebody invested in you. Somebody sent you a card. Somebody said a word of encouragement. Somebody noticed how you were doing and and said, I'm with you. Somebody ministered to you. That's how we bring life into the fellowship of the church is that we minister unto each other. It's when the ministry is missing that the oxygen in the room escapes. I read this week about a, a guy named Fred, uh, Frank Reed who was in a cell in Lebanon in the Middle East from 1986 to 1990. And while he was in the cell, he was blindfolded, chained to the wall, and uh, was only allowed to eat twice a day. Very meager uh, amounts of food. And they asked him when he was able to escape and to get out and and to be with other people. Uh, In a time interview, uh, he was asked the question, um, what did you miss most during your time of incarceration and being in that cell? and being away from other people, being alone. And he said, the one thing I missed the most is 
that nothing I did while I was in that cell, nothing I did mattered to anybody else. Nobody came when I called. Nobody responded when I had a need. It's like nobody cared about me while I was in that cell. There are times in our life when we go through so much trial and chaos and trouble that we feel locked in a cell as well. And we wonder, does anybody care what I'm going through? Does anybody else understand my situation? Well, compassionate ministry brings life and fresh air and nourishment and, uh, and that kind of giving spirit to each other is the ministry that brings relationships of trust and trustworthiness in a fellowship called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we minister, we minister to physical needs, we minister to emotional needs, and we minister to spiritual needs as well. Fourthly, they had a common fe- fellowship with each other. When you think about fellowship in the Bible, the word koinonia means we have something in common. And the best definition I have ever heard of, co- of uh, koinonia or f- fellowship is this definition. Everybody in the boat rowing in the same direction at the same time. That is fellowship. And these folks in this uh, Acts chapter 2 were of a common cause. Their cause was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everybody was on board. And everybody was serving. And everybody was involved. That is called fellowship. Everybody in the boat rowing in the same direction at the same time. Common fellowship. And a fifth ingredient I would call intentional evangelism or missions. Intentional evangelism or missions. It wasn't evangelism by accident. It wasn't evangelism by osmosis. And just because you came into this building today does not mean you'll get saved until you hear the gospel. When you hear the gospel, and the gospel is that God loves you, we've all sinned, that has breached our relationship with God. That's the barrier between us and God. The good news is that God loves you so much, He came into this world and He died for you on that cross. And now by repentance of sin, turning from sin and turning to Christ, you can be saved. Now you are accountable for this gospel. What will be your response? That's intentional. Doing it on purpose. Sharing the gospel on purpose. And that's what Gospel to Every Home is all about. That's why we want to take the gospel to every home and leave this packet that has in it the message that I just shared with you um, in a very colorful packet, by the way, and, uh, and people can hear and learn more about the gospel. Intentional evangelism. We talk about church growth and we talk about uh, how can our church grow and what, can we, what else can, can we be doing to, to grow in numbers. And, and I heard this saying and I want to share it with you. The church's health, the healthy church, the church's health, is measured by its sending capacity, not its seating capacity. A healthy church is measured by its sending capacity, 
not exceeding capacity. God is more concerned that we get outside these walls and that we go into our community, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the world and share this gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are saying in your mind, what that preacher is talking about today is the five purposes of the church. Well, you're right. You're right. And I'll have a series this summer talking about each of these five purposes of the church because you see in a healthy church these five ingredients, these five things taking place. The first one is inspired worship. Two, transformational Bible study where the teacher has an encounter with God and the people who are attending also have an encounter with the Lord as we are studying the Word of God. Three, compassionate ministry. That's the heart of God in me ministering to others. Fourthly, common fellowship. And finally, intentional missions and evangelism. We intend to share the gospel with the whole world. Today, if you're here and you have not yet received Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you are ready now to give your life to the Lord, we're going to sing a song that's called The Invitation, and we invite you to come. The Lord has said to us, If you will confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father who is in heaven. And that stepping out and that stepping forward is your way of saying to the whole world, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I want everybody to know that I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. It's time to let go. It's time to give your life to the Lord, to know for sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. And by receiving Christ as your Savior and your Lord and following through in obedience and baptism, this is the steps that God wants you to take if you've not done that yet. Let today be the first day of eternity for you. Will you bow your heads together as we pray? Father, we thank you for the picture of the New Testament church. Lord, that we can go back to that model and say, we need to improve in this area and that area and work on this and work work on that area, but Lord, more than anything else, we need to let you be the Lord of each of our lives and collectively now, Lord of this church. That we would be found obedient to the Lord when Jesus returns. And I pray during this invitation that there be one person here who's ready to give their life to Jesus. They'll come forward, we'll pray with them, and help them to receive Jesus, and help them to be saved. Maybe there's someone who wants to unite with our church from a sister church, having already received Christ. We pray they'll come during this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.